Welcome to episode 18 of the Progression Health Podcast. I'm here with Leah Lutz of Biobel Medicine. Leah, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I am Leah, a coach, a lifter, a, as we were just talking before the podcast, a person that loves to do a lot of different things. Um, but my um, career is coaching in both gen- general population clients and competitive lifters. And so I get to work with a lot of people in a lot of different stages of life in their training, fitness, nutrition, all of that. And so that's me. Yeah, you definitely do a lot of different uh, things <laughs> with your coaching. As uh, I saw on your post, you covered like pretty much everything you'd want in a coach. Which is great to see. Um, but kind of bringing it back, how did you get started in the health and fitness industry? And, you know, kind of what's your backstory? Perfect. I'm going to attempt to keep this one pretty short. Um, it's something that I have talked about a lot, but it's I, it's really important and I could talk a lot about it. So try to give the short version of this, but um, I did not grow up as an athletic person. I was definitely much more of that um, study, read, play piano, teach piano, <laughs> cook, that kind of younger person. Um was exposed to different things, but never really um, enjoyed anything particularly athletic. Uh, Later on, as a young adult, I did go to cooking school in my early 20s. I had been overweight. It was about that time that I became more overweight. And so over the course of several years, my weight reached an all-time high after, and during that time, I was yo-yo dieting for sure. I've tried every diet probably that anyone could imagine, but um, reached a high weight um, of 265 pounds, very um, uncomfortable (laughs) with where I was, quite unhappy with how things had gotten. There's a lot involved in that, but um, at the, it was a kind of a year end, year beginning decision. I decided um, no matter what, almost, I needed to do whatever it took to change this. And so something switched and I said, I'm gonna have to, this is probably gonna take a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort. I don't know, but I'm just going to stop like fiddling around um, and trying this and that. And I'm just going to go all in. So at that point, I um, joined a CrossFit gym, which at that stage of my life seemed like kind of like the most extreme dedicated thing I could do um, and found a group of small group of people that were insanely invested in my success. And it was very, very hard. I was terrified of doing this. Um, it was exhausting. Um, I, but at the same time, I just, I changed a lot of how I ate, began lifting, began doing cardio, had accountability there. And like I said, I had people who supported me. So stayed down that for several years, really just fell in love with just everything. Um, lost a notable amount of weight, ended up tearing my rotator cuff, needing surgery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And it was kind of that point in particular was another big change turning point in my fitness pursuit and life. Um, I had been doing these life changes for a couple of years and that surgery seemed uh, so overwhelming and I was terrified, like the weight is going to come back on. I don't know what to do. Everything was painful. I was like, I can walk at that point. That's, it felt like that was all I knew how to do. And I was just terrified. 
kept trying different things. Eventually, um, that's where I got in touch with the coach that I now work with and uh, found Jordan Feigenbaum online. He was just getting started in his online nutrition coaching. And I was still, I think it was about 225 pounds at that point. And so I sent him an email and I said, hi, I'm Leah. <laughs> I found you online. Um, I had kind of knew him through several different people but didn't know him personally. And I said, I need some help. Would you like to coach me? This is where I'm at. And um, that started the coaching relationship. And um, over the course of working with him, I lost a total of, I think it was over a hundred pounds, 130 pounds or something. Um, and started powerlifting. And through all of that, I just, I learned a lot and I grew a lot. And I started then coaching people kind of like on the side at my own gym. And I was working as a teacher at that point. So love working with people over the next year or so, Jordan and a couple other people were like, you know, you should maybe consider coaching, you know, like try this out. So I started coaching um, some small group classes, some one-on-one -on -one, and within another year or two, we started having a conversation of what if I changed careers and quit teaching, which I um, by that time had done for about 18 years and became a full-time coach. And it was a huge change, one that I struggled with for a while because I never imagined at that point that I was going to not teach. I love teaching in a lot of ways, but it's not, teaching is also very complicated. Side note, I'm quite um, relieved that I'm not teaching through what everyone is having to go through these last couple of years. <laughs> um, but uh, it was also a really natural shift in a lot of ways. And so I eventually did quit, became a full-time coach. And this is where I am now. I work for Barbell Medicine and um, have had some great mentorship, obviously, through these years, um, different, a lot of different study and growth and taking a lot of what I've learned and gone through and then being challenged with the people that I work with to learn more in these last years. Um, has definitely made me into the coach that I am today. And then I've had some fantastic clients over all these years. I've worked as a coach now for about seven years. And so um, this is where, where I am now. Full-time coach, going back to school as well. <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yes, that's my that's the short version of my journey into the health and fitness world. So you haven't really done much at all. You just kind of... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just say, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much, yeah, everything you could do related to health and fitness, it seems like you've done. That's amazing. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> going back to the, the cooking school, I feel yes. as though that's like a, it's like a, an, a lost art or something nowadays. So um, what from the kind of the cooking skills you learned initially, do you still use today? Do you, do you still apply? Good question. So, you know, when I... Interestingly, when I went into cooking school, I was interested in going into baking and pastry. That was my love. Would also explain where I was with my weight. <laughs> um, but during school, I became much more interested and learned a lot more just about cooking and you know the hotline. And so ended up not pursuing baking and pastry as much. Learned a lot more of the actual food cooking skills. And so I worked for a very short time in food mainly in private catering and events and things like that. Um, and discovered that is something that I absolutely love, but the food world was as a career was not something that I was willing to dive into. It's, it's, 
pretty hard, gnarly. And um, so I just kept it up as a hobby. And it gave me a lot of important skills about food and cooking and how to create things that people will want to eat. And so I would say that then when I began these um, health changes, and it in one way, it was a huge shock because food and cooking was obviously a huge part of my identity. And I loved making things that made people happy, make people happy, <laughs> and that they are just thrilled to eat. And a lot of times that means it's very highly palatable, highly rewarding, high sugar, high fat, high salt, you know, that we, there's a reason all of that makes sense. But cooking school helped make, I understood all of those pieces. And so when I began to make shifts and pretty much kind of like said, okay, I got to like put all that to the side. I need to focus more on whole foods so that I understand those and appreciate those more. Um, it just brought everything together for me. And I was able to take all those different little pieces. And now I feel pretty confident in, I can feed people, I can feed myself, but I can also feed other people in ways that are um, great. <laughs> it's fantastic food, but um, it's also something that's gonna be a more supportive of what I would consider you know, a healthy eating style. So kind of gave me a huge foundation pushed me off into the world of too much baking and pastry for a while. And, but I was able to pull all that stuff back when I decided that I was going to get more into healthy eating patterns. Yeah. So would it be fair to say that you cook with more of like a sustainable approach as opposed to like, uh, just cooking, you know, only for enjoyment. Enjoyment is obviously important, but you, you have more of a sustainable element to it now. Yes. Yes. And so I think over the last few years, especially my approach to food and cooking, I believe, I think a great way to describe it in my mind would be it's brought, been brought more into balance. So I would, you know, I swung from um, a more highly palatable, highly reward focus in food in general. You know, these are the treats. These are the great restaurant meals you could have, like these things being of high, high importance to me. Then I kind of swung to, let me pull all of those potentially quote junk foods or, you know, um, highly caloric foods out of my diet and try to like go kind of like, I mean, I did paleo for a while. So, you know, like that association of just super simple. And at that point, there were a lot of foods that I wouldn't eat or wouldn't cook and everything. And so now I would definitely say it's a more balanced, holistic, um, you know, well-informed view of food and cooking and nutrition and eating in that I don't see foods as quote good or bad. Um, I don't see meals as like cheat meals because I really think it's important that we divorce this like world of morality from our food. Um, and then understand that food is important in so many ways. It fuels us for sure, but it is also a very important part of who we are as human beings, as social creatures, um, as part of our culture, our social interactions, our great memories, all of those things become really important. So I think that I've become, I, I now better understand how those things can work for a lifestyle that promotes enjoyment tradition, culture, family, but also health. 
Yeah, I noticed that when people switch to uh, being more kind of health focused or health centered, that they that the enjoyment of food kind of gets sucked out of it, which is unfortunate. Yes. <laughs> All the benefits you just mentioned there, you know, and Christmas is coming up. Thanksgiving's just gone by. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, you know, and it, it's a touchy thing, you know, there were, there were times when I think it was more um, helpful for me to be a little bit more strict because I had some pretty profound lifestyle changes that I wanted to make. And so um, that I think for a time that was helpful, but I, I don't think it's sustainable and I don't think everyone needs to even do that. Um, and but people, it, food, food is a touchy stuff subject for people and people have a hard time um, kind of understanding that it's important and it's enjoyable, but it's not anything and everything from any perspective. You know, it's, it's got to have its place, even though we need it. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the thing. We need it, but then it has to have its place. And, you know, that yeah. place is, it, it, it can vary a lot between different people. Yeah. Yeah. So, and our whole food environment has gotten so, um, I, I do think our food environment overall has gotten out of whack. And, you know, I, I am definitely in the camp that would say that, you know, in recent generations in particular, um, our, our overall food environment is, has swung too far to the not so healthy, um, food surrounding us or, you know, in our, world easy to get in large portions um you know all those things so it's it's food is very complicated but i think we can we can make a lot of progress there yeah yeah very complicated um yeah. like, i think we're kind of it's like a delayed effect so the food environment has changed a lot ahead of us and then we're only realizing oh you know it's not that uh, i put on weight as i kind of um get older, for example, it's more like maybe I have more access to different foods. I have different lifestyle demands. It's not an age thing. It's like yes. an environmental thing. It could be like an activity environment and it could be maybe like a life stress kind of situation or um, food environment all combined. That yeah. Affect our health. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. It's so gradual that I think a lot of times we don't see it or we just are unwilling to acknowledge it, you know, and it, it there's so many little things, you know, like I even look at something like several generations ago, like if you had a celebration or something like that, even important, right? Someone in your family would probably make the dessert, for example. <laughs> um, that would be normal. It takes a little bit more time. It's usually not as massive because it takes more time and all of that. Nowadays, it is so cheap for anyone to go to Costco and buy a cake that is ridiculously large that would feed your family for like, a week of dessert, not just a day of dessert, right? And so it's just, it's little things like that, that that the lower costs, the ease of access, all of those things just add up. Um, we have a drop in cooking skills even. So, you know, sometimes people would like to eat differently, but they're not really sure how to. So, yeah. Yeah, and then also the food is like hyper palatable. So yeah. I know, you know, living here in downtown SF, it's uh, it, it's the amount of times I see the homeless people. Unfortunately, you know, it's very sad to see them, but that they're eating these hyper palatable, like you know, they're eating like cakes and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah. why, you know, why would you eat that? And it's like, oh, because if you, you know, are hungry, 
it's so tasty it's so easily available it's everywhere it's like of course that's what yep. they eat in so. yeah easy to get easy to carry it actually stores for quite a long time yeah yeah and sometimes people don't believe me how influential the realm of food science has become as well you know like if once you delve into that and understand how um large that industry has come there are just large amounts of time and money devoted to creating more food that is more highly palatable that you know keeps us wanting this more doritos wants to sell us more chips and they put a lot of time and effort into developing something that does just that yeah they the food industry is very good at eat, make, making us want to eat more food yep <laughs> unfortunately yeah. exactly you would think that would be a good thing you'd be like oh yeah the food tastes good you know i want to eat more of it it's like no it's like you know in the short term that's fine in the long term it's pretty detrimental to our health yeah 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 so something that uh i've been thinking of recently is i'm very fortunate to work in a health facility because if i ever want to work out or if i ever feel like i'm not working out enough i just you know get to work a bit earlier stay around a bit longer and you know i work out Whereas most people's issue is like getting to the gym, you know, for example, if you were a teacher, I'm sure you were kind of like burnt out. So is there anything you've noticed about going from like, let's just say working uh, outside the health and fitness industry and how hard it was to manage your health versus now, you know, you're kind of in the industry, but not the tip. It's the less typical job because you're working as an online coach. But yeah, just yeah. what differences is there? Like, and how hard is it to manage your health when you are you know, outside the industry, working a job where you're not in and around a gym all the time? Yeah, really good question. I was just thinking about this the other day, because I went to the gym later than normal for me. So, you know, I have kind of like in my head, my optimal time to train. And because I work on my own, most of the time that's doable. And I was there several hours later and just kind of annoyed at the idea that, you know, I was like, oh, I don't really like being here at this time, just because I, I don't, prefer it. And I realized, yes, when I, I had that same thought when I first started and I was teaching, that meant that I was going to a gym after work or before work. And so I was training at either 5.30 or 6 a.m. on some days, or I was most often, I was actually at the gym at 7, 8, 9 p.m. Um, and training. And um, I'm very, very happy that that is not when I train now, <laughs> but it did just kind of come rushing back that that was part of, it did make it difficult. Um, and it's one of those things that I definitely appreciate for a lot of people. There's, there's so many different barriers. Like you said, if you need to drive, you know, right now, um, if there's tougher access even to a gym, because it's, takes you longer to get there, or there's limits on how many people can be in the gym, or, you know, they're closed for a while still in different areas for different times. Um, not everybody can have something at home, obviously, um, although you can train at home, but, you know, it can throw you for a loop if you've been at a gym, especially if you're new, and then you've got to like pivot and do something else. The last couple of years have been really complicated for a lot of people in that regard. Um, but yeah, and so it, it goes to, and this is not easy, but it is like a, a simple principle that so much of this does really depend on the way we set up our environments and the way we build our, our habits. And so like looking back for me, that was always having my gym bag packed the night before, you know, like 
always <laughs> it was in my car I had food with me um I was at that stage I like usually had running shoes like in my trunk because sometimes I had some pretty wild commutes and there would be times when uh, you know I live in seven on in Santa Cruz you have to drive over what's called highway 17 for anyone who doesn't know what that is it's still a mountain road and it'll get closed or you know horrible traffic um very very easily and so commuting over that for quite a while and um, there were times when I would go well I could sit here in traffic for two or three hours or I could pull over and I could go jog in the park and that was something totally totally new for me but you know trying to make a lot of those changes and um and it came down to kind of like just pre-thinking the day, you know, like, do I have food? Do I have some different options for where I could train, how I could be active, where I could take a work, take a walk, that kind of thing. And, um, and I fully understand when a client that I'm working with is just thrown and they're like, I, I didn't know what to do. Like I was starving. I didn't have any food. I mean, like, so then I skipped out on the gym and, and I, that's common. And I think once we start experiencing those things, then we can start figuring out, okay, how can I kind of like chip away at those barriers and make it a little bit simpler? Um, because it is really challenging for a lot of people, for sure. Yeah, barriers is a big one, yeah. You realize how many more barriers there is for uh, people outside the industry just to do the basic, which is yeah. like, it, it should be the opposite, really. You know, it should yeah. be... <laughs> It'd be great if gyms were free, even you know, if they're, if memberships yeah. to gyms were free, you know, what would that change for for healthcare in the U.S. and around the world? But yeah, yeah, or even I have a lot of clients who say, I, I, like, once I'm at work, it's really hard for me to even leave the office, which I understand. But to your point, like, that's one of these environmental things that is pretty awful that we have, um, and I think it's very probably very American, right? But to have people who feel like they're kind of like shut into this office for eight or nine hours a day. And the idea of going out for 30 minutes, even let alone an hour or an hour and 30 minutes is something they're like, I, I don't know that I can routinely do that. Um, so then I try to break it down into smaller chunks, but it's, it's very difficult in a lot of situations. Yeah. So then you got to be like, okay, what can we possibly do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Cause I don't think people will constantly choose to do those things but your environment is like i heard it described as like the invisible hand that guides you and you know it can kind of have you uh acting or behaving in a way that i guess is kind of like not uh, aligned with your values so that's i guess where coaching yeah. comes in yeah exactly so just going back to your uh your transformation um yeah what are some of the things kind of like mentally or psychologically that change from pre to like post that you kind of like picked up along the way because you're kind of like a unicorn in the sense that, you know, a lot of people, the average adult in the US is overweight, unfortunately, and, um, or as, as we now say, has excess adiposity. And uh, yeah. basically, uh, it's very hard not to uh, go down that route. So as, as um, someone who has been able to kind of uh, go against the grain, we'll say, uh, you know, what did yeah. you pick up along the way? Another good question. So, I mean, I think that, um, well, first I'll kind of like give the caveat that I think a lot of people probably, I know that you would understand. And that is that even when I was struggling with my weight, it was not coming from a place of generally being a lazy or uninformed person, right? So we'll just kind of start off the conversation. And I know that a lot of people in this 
conversation would understand that, but I think it's helpful to reiterate that. So it's not like I suddenly found this, um, like transformed my life and suddenly went from being someone who didn't know anything about being overweight and then was like, oh, now I know it all. I'm just, and now, now I finally found this um, motivation that I had like in no part of my life. I, so it, that's not the way it, it works. Um, but there was um, this, you know, there was this part of my life that I had allowed to just become pretty separate from everything else that I did. And, and, you know, for why people do that or how that happens, I think is pretty complicated and, and unique, but I had definitely compartmentalized that physical part of my life and convinced myself that it did not matter as much as everything else I was doing. So I do tend to be a very busy person, a very involved person. And as much as like in the back of my mind, I knew this was not correct. <laughs> I know that I was routinely telling myself that my health, my weight, even though it was concerning to me, that was far less important than my job as a teacher or what I was doing with friends and family or the volunteer work I was doing. So I would tell myself, I just don't have any more time. I, I'm very busy doing much better things than the, you know, I exercise. No, you know, um, I'm not, and I convinced myself, I am not that consumed with my body that I would give up any of these other good things that I was doing. And I do think that's um, something that a lot of my clients also struggle with, you know, because they have really busy lives. And it's, so then we can think it's selfish for me to quit any of those things or stop caring for the people in our families or whatever. And so um, I did battle a lot of those feelings of being selfish if I was saying no to other things in order to exercise, or if I was saying no to things because I knew that the food environment was going to be too challenging for me at that time. And, um, or for me personally, like if I changed the way I was cooking and feeding people that initially felt very selfish too. Like people wanted certain kinds of food that I had cooked for them for years. And now suddenly I wasn't making it. So I had, that was a big mental shift that I had to work through that. It really was not selfish. It was me caring for myself as a whole person. And um, interestingly enough, I believed that very, very strongly as a teacher for all of my students. I wanted my students to be whole, complete people. And uh, that idea has was huge for me. And yet, and so I think that was one of the things that helped me was realizing that I was not seeing that for myself. So when I was able to understand that more for myself, it made a lot of the things that I needed to do a little bit more possible. And then it made my desire to go into coaching and everything else that I'm doing now, it made it all click a little bit more because um, yes, it, 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 I think that would be the, the, the key mental shift <laughs> that I needed to take care of all of me and the physical being of myself was not any less important than any other part of me. And I had spent a long time telling myself that it was less important and, um, you know, it might be, you know, you put it, I, you know, I didn't want to venture into that world that was like too much focus on aesthetics or body image or anything like that. And then I realized that I was lying to myself. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 So it was like, uh, for whatever reason, you didn't want to prioritize your physical health 
when in actual fact if you if you're fortunate enough to realize that you prioritize your physical health it gives you more energy or like kind of more more ability to do everything else more yeah. more i guess more life to do everything else right but it's not it's yeah. not easy you know it's very very challenging and i guess it kind of makes me think that that's why you are almost like the perfect coach because you've like you know had a lot of different experiences that have led you to the position you're in now so you can use that in your coaching yeah no thank you and i think that the idea of having more life like that that is key um because a lot of times people would also refer to me as like being a new person and at first when people said that to me in some ways like i understood the the meaning behind that but it was also a little bit offensive because i was like but i'm not a new person like i am i am i'm me i'm just me but you realize that um once i understood that the changes that i had in my life better physical health that was actually truly enabling to be more of the person that i knew i was and so then too once i saw that then it became a little bit more exciting as, and not as difficult because it was very very difficult at first at first it felt like i just have to do so much and it's hard but once i began to see all of this was coming together to help me to be who i really felt like i was you know i do have a lot of energy i do want to do a lot of things and this made it all more possible yeah yeah uh that's what kind of drew me to you to you know to set up this podcast is your energy a very nice kind of energy about you um thank you and then also, you know, going back to the point you made earlier about like, you know, people who have excess adiposity, they're not lazy, you know, yeah. like the amount of things you've done, you know, tells me you're a hard worker. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> just, be, just because people have excess adiposity, it doesn't mean that they uh, are any less of a person at all, you know, it's, which is really yeah. sad. I feel like uh, Joe Rogan, you know, just everyone at just service by, you know, saying, just try harder or, you know, yeah. um, you know, you just got to do it. And it's like, you know, what about the person who has like kids or persons are in, in debt or has two jobs, yeah. or has mental health issues, so many factors yeah. that like, you know, him and his ivory tower is unaware of, and, you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And it's very frustrating for someone who's in that position to feel like everyone else or a, a lot of people. And I, at that point, you know, I know, I remember at times when I felt like everyone must be judging me for this. Um, cause that's all what, to your point, that's what a lot of the conversation is. And um, that is something then that has become really important to me in conversation as a coach and then just online and the many different things we do is I want to encourage a different narrative that this is not, this is not who you are, um, you know, and um, it is difficult. <laughs> it is definitely not as simple as just work harder, just read a book, just learn something new. That is not the answer. And, you know, it's very frustrating for me, even in our little fitness world, when we have people who you think you've heard more of this before, but you're defaulting to a conversation that is, well, if people just did this, <laughs> you know, I remember several years ago when Jordan said to me, if you start a, a sentence with, if I just did, or if you just did, you're probably going to say something that's not going to be productive. And it's, I've realized that's very true. You know, we want to reduce everything to this, just do this statement. And that's really harmful a lot of times when we're discussing things, especially this in this context. Yeah, it, 
It reminds me of uh, during the pandemic when, uh, you know, everything shut down. So I had to do some furniture moving as a job. And, you know, that's an extremely labor intensive job. And, yeah. uh, you know, I was there and I was like, you know, oh, you're going to be in great shape doing this job. And, you know, it's going to, I want me to go to the gym and I'll be able to maintain my weight or whatever. And it's like, the job is so stressful that it's, it's almost like, uh, it's going to break you down, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it's, 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 it's actually much, much harder to, to be healthy, even though you're doing so much physical activity. So like I was looking at some of the, my coworkers and I was like, oh, you know, they're a little bit overweight, but they do so much activity, you know, what's going on there. And it's, it's because of the, the stress and the challenge of the job on a daily basis is so unrelenting that like you have to kind of compensate. And of course, when you're on the go, when you're so busy, you're so tired, you know, making the healthiest choices is, is extremely hard. And even I found yeah. it as, as a health and fitness professional, I found it so difficult. So um, it's like, you know, you don't really know how hard people have it until you walk in their shoes. And until then, just, you know, leave your judgment at the door and just see yes. what's going on, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so kind of, I guess, tying into uh, looking after yourself outside of training and just you yeah. know, looking after yourself in general. Uh, you know, one of your posts was like a non-training day and um, non-dieting related ways to take care of yourself. I think that's you know, yeah. very important. It's not what we do in the gym that's important for our health. It's nearly, you know, everything outside of it. So could you talk a little bit about that post and why that's important? Sure. Yeah. Um, it be, that idea has become really important to me, as you know, working in the health and fitness industry, it's very easy for us or for even for the people that we work with to become hyper-focused on a few things in life. Right. And so, um, uh, and I do think that because in general, we can have an overemphasis on something like diet culture, um, we can just like zero in on that and be like, this is what defines me. That number needs to change. The size needs to be who I am, anything like that. And so understanding that there is so much outside of the gym and outside of fitness that needs our attention and our care in our lives. And so it is things like um, our social interactions, our giving to others, our enjoyment of the world around us, our, you know, our ability to relax. You know, we just talked about this job and the stress that comes with it and if we aren't also attending to those things, we can get so caught up in, in, in specifically our fitness pursuit that these other parts of our well-being do suffer. And um, so an imbalance there, in my belief, definitely comes with a pretty high cost. And so I, it's very important to me. And then it's also very important as a coach for me that I help others to understand that um the scale is not it the food that they eat is not it the stuff they do at the gym a competition like none of that can be it and um you going out and enjoying a walk outside could be as beneficial as you going to the gym that day and the reality is, is that life is really complicated it's really stressful um, and we have to keep all those things in mind. And so I do like to um, speak regularly about a lot of those outside of the gym health pursuits as well. Yeah. Do, do you have any kind of common uh, pursuits that you recommend? Or, you know, I, I know we talked about like having a training journal. Do you kind of journal or recommend clients do that? Yes. 
so yes, I do journal. I, you know, we, um, you mentioned that I did have a post where I, I keep a handwritten journal still for my training. And that's in part because I do note other things in that journal as well. Um, that I think are related to my, my health. And it's things like, um, it can be things like how I'm feeling that day, but it can also, I try to be pretty regular about noting good things that happened during my training session as well. And I find that handwriting those in my journal is really it's a, a helpful practice. Um, you know, those good old habits, like actually writing down things that you are thankful for or that you are grateful for become, I think they're sometimes those buzz activities are all around us and we can uh, lose sight of how important they are because we wake up and we go, go, go. We get, go directly to our phone. We work at home. So we're on our laptop. We're going, going, going. And we can totally disconnect from people, from um, our realization, our, our mindfulness of where we are in the world and with people and what we have. And so that handwritten training journal is one of the things that I do. And then, yes, I encourage a lot of my clients, um, we have conversations about noting the things that they appreciated about what they did, their body did that day, for example, you know, because when you're training, sometimes you can get really hard on yourself and, you know, this didn't go right. I didn't hit the number I wanted to, um, the training session felt harder, I, this, my back hurt, whatever it is. And so we have to work on um, the, those positive things, not a false positivity, but, you know, those true things about how we're doing. Um, and then, like I said, the things that we're grateful for, I think is, is insanely important. <laughs> um, and it's not just a cost away kind of activity. Um, and then also maintaining those social connections and um, another one of those, like just vital things for our, our, our over, overall health. Yeah. So definitely I, I think volunteering, if you can find ways to do that, is a really um, profound way to, to help in that regard. And then maintaining those connections with friends and family that are healthy for you. And um, sometimes in the busyness of our tech world, unfortunately, those kind of things can even be lost. So I remind myself and others of that often <laughs> because, you know, even working from home, you know, you can kind of like get in this cave where you're like, here I am just all by myself, you know, or just seeing a, um, a limited number of people. So unfortunately we have to be kind of pushed out of that frequently right now, especially. Yeah. Yeah. We can lose sight of uh, the little things that happen in our day outside of our routine or just things that, that are important to us that we kind of, I don't know, gloss over. It feels like uh, something yeah. that I wanted to go over that we skipped over was uh, weight bias. And I've heard of how people who, um, have a, a larger body experience a lot of weight bias like i'm very lucky that i've never experienced it but i feel as though it's kind of pervasive but people are not fully aware of it so um do you have any any kind of thoughts on that or any experience of that yeah yeah do you have a, a fair amount of experience with weight bias it was uh one of the things that was very difficult um i think if you have not lived in a body that is larger and I know a lot of my friends, like when I told them some of these things, they had no idea. Um, but, you know, you, you uh, weight bias at, with medical care, unfortunately, is certainly a thing. And I definitely experienced it. And sometimes I would joke about it, but 
you know, you feel like anything you go in for, <laughs> um, the answer is, well, you know, it'd probably be good if you lose weight. And you're kind of like, I know that, but I have a sinus infection. And that's what I would like <laughs> to talk about right now. Right. Um, and so definitely went through a lot of that. Um, generally felt pretty, uh, like a lot of what I might want to speak to someone in medical care for was often dismissed um, in that my weight would have been the only thing that we would need to talk about. And then um, there is real and then just kind of like also self-perceived bias. Um, and, you know, I uh, used to, I still do, but, you know, I've for quite a while, I've traveled quite a bit for different jobs and flying became so stressful because <laughs> um, it's a small space. <laughs> the aisles are small, the seats are small. Um, you feel like you are in people's way, making their trip very uncomfortable. The look you get when you sit down next to someone and they're worried about you taking up more of the airplane space than they think you should is awful. Um, it does not feel good. Um, going to a restaurant and um, everybody's sitting in a booth and it's hard work at certain body sizes to get around to the middle of a booth. And, you know, you got to kind of position yourself so you can sit on the edge and, um, or it's just really awkward. And, um, when I first started running, trying to jog, you know, I would try to do these couch to 2k programs. And this is one of those things where I think most of the time it was perceived, like this was my self-perception that I must look like everyone must be looking at me thinking she should not be doing this. Why is she doing this? Now I recognize that most people do not think that. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are people who think that. Um, but I do realize now that most people do not think that. Um, and I certainly don't think that when I see other people doing that. And so, you know, but in that stage, that's all I could think of was that I stood out like a sore thumb. And so I am more noticeable in everything that I did. And then you do feel also feel like when you are um, in living in that body, that in general, a lot of people judge you um, for anything you do or eat that they think you should not be doing or eating. Um, and so um, it's also very hard when, you know, you're in situations and you're like, yeah, like ev everybody wants to go out to pizza. Here we are. And yet it's very common for the judgment to be that someone who has excess adiposity should not be eating what everyone else is eating, for example. And um, so, yes, there's quite a bit of it, unfortunately. Yeah, that's that's so sad because, you know, you think how, how important, like you said, connection is and, and, and community and, uh, you know, we should be lifting each other up or, you know, supporting each other at the very least. Um, so would it be fair to say that when people uh, have a, a weight bias or they kind of treat someone who's, who's larger differently, they are uh, kind of, they're, they're definitely not supporting them, but it's kind of, that doesn't even do it justice. They're, they're doing the complete opposite. They're, they're yes. treating them, they're treating them like less than just simply because they're, they, they weigh more. That's literally yes. all it is. And yeah. Yep. No. And I think you're, you're, that is exactly it. it. It's actually, you know, I think unfortunately, because the idea of just working harder is so pervasive, I do think, unfortunately, so many people think that they're kind of like their attitude is okay because they're like well yeah i mean like if these people just knew if they just did this if they just cared a little bit more and 
I think, unfortunately, I mean, I do think some people are genuinely unkind, <laughs> you know, and uncharitable. Um, but the uh, more Pollyanna side of me, the more optimistic side of me and, and people does believe that, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who don't see that their attitude is actually hurting. It's harming people. It's creating more barriers because to your point, if someone then feels isolated, judged, um, uncomfortable, that creates more and more barriers to them making social connections, being with people, walking around outside. You know, I mean, people have probably all seen different videos of people yelling things out of a car at someone who's jogging or walking. And I had had those experiences too. You know, I, I know what that is like and it is awful, you know? And so all of those things add up, as you said, to make it more difficult. It is the opposite of helpful for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of feels as though you're getting, uh, we're, we're sort of justifying bullying each other just because we feel like it's the right thing to do without actually, you know, thinking, is it the right thing to do? Um, right. So, you know, I think I could think of a few things, but is there anything you can think of that people can do to like check their weight bias if they have it or like, you know, sort of, I guess, be more uh, aware? Yeah, that's a, that, yeah, that's a tough one. I think that I do think that the more we understand and can internalize the idea that um, being with obesity is better viewed as a disease state than a anything else, right? So if we can internalize that more individually and then as a society, I think we can make some nice progress here. It's it's still going to be complicated, but you know, we understand that someone who has high blood pressure or someone who has diabetes or high cholesterol, right? We understand that there are interventions that can be used there, that there are lifestyle changes that can be made, but we also understand that there's a lot out of the control of that individual related to that disease. And so I think the more individuals and our society can understand that that does apply to someone with obesity as well, I think that can go a long way. I just had another conversation with someone who cares a lot about this idea and yet is really struggling with accepting the fact that we could think of someone with obesity as in a similar, you know, in a similar position as someone with any other diagnosable disease. And so I think we're unfortunately a long way from wrapping our head around that. And I think that's really important. I think that will make a lot of differences. And then I think um, just individually, like if someone wants to think about this as a person, just on a very individual scale, it, that weight bias can be checked by um, recognizing how, when we start thinking or speaking as if there's a simple solution to this for either people or in another individual. And so if you care or have someone in your life um, and who has excess adiposity and you think, how can I think about this? I think that's a really important starting point. This is not a moral failing of theirs. This is not that they are simply not caring enough about their life. Um, and, and change is hard because of so many factors. And it can be genetics, it can be environmental, it can be cultural, 
Um, it can be just their job. It can be their access. It can be their skills. Like, and so acting as if it's easy to fix this is probably one of the strong, biggest things that we need to change. Yeah. For me, it's like change is, is really hard, like long-term yeah. change, you know, uh, there's even a, a site and it's about people who have lost weight and they've maintained it. I can't think of, I think it's the national weight loss registry. I think yeah. that's what it's called. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, uh, Basically, they hope they made a whole site about it. Um, I think the guy's name is Hill, maybe. But uh, basically, there's a whole site about these group of people who were participants in his study, and they've been able to keep weight off. I think it's just the threshold is just like five or ten percent weight loss, or yes. it's over like five years. You know? Yeah. And people, I think, if you did a, a kind of a poll of the general population, you'd be like, oh yeah, that'd be relatively easy. But it's like, no, it's really changes really hard. So. Um, yeah, I think that's important to keep in mind that, uh, just think of your own, uh, habits, you know, things you've tried to change yourself and think of how difficult it is to maintain it for the long term. You know, anyone can change something for a, a day or a week or 30 days, but to do it for 30 years is like, no one's figured that out yet. Really. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's very complicated. And like, I, I can also say that personally, like I've even gone through more change and understanding even in the last six months, I would say of understanding myself as it has, it is difficult at times to maintain my weight loss. Um, and sometimes this is surprising to people when they see me now. And, you know, cause oftentimes people would never imagine that this, sometimes I forget that people did not know this about me. Um, or they think that it must be easy. And in some ways it is very routine. There's so many things in my life that are now different, you know, all these different small things. And so in some ways it is much different, much easier, but in other ways it is still a challenge. And, um, and so that's where I do think that understanding those with obesity a little bit differently helps us to understand that. And it was difficult for me to even kind of wrap my head around the fact that, uh, in a way, this isn't something, if obesity is a disease, this isn't something that then I fix completely in my own life. And that was hard for me to wrap my head around um, when I first started wrestling with this, because I wanted to believe that something was going to happen in which I was going to have this life that I imagined everybody else in the world must have, right? So I had this thinking that there must be something I could do that was going to suddenly switch things so that I kind of didn't have to think about this anymore. Because in my head, that's how other people in this world live, that they just go about their life and um, food, weight, all of that is easy. And that, and I think that's ingrained in us because of our cultural bias and our weight bias and all of that. But you know, so we also, I had to wrestle and like accept that I had to come to some acceptance there that this is, this is me and, um, and it's okay. And it was hard for me at first to say, this is me and it's okay. But, um, it's, it's helping my life to recognize that that is the case. And, um, so there's that, that level of acceptance was, was pretty big for me. And that's one of the things that I think is very hard for a lot of people, um, because I can assure you that all of us who have been in this stage 
we do think that the rest of you who don't have it live this magical life that we we can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you said earlier about prioritizing your physical health, you have to accept that uh, that was a change that you know would benefit your life. And it reminds me that you know any change, there's no kind of destination really. Like the only destination is uh, you know really when you die, or yeah. you know. <laughs> Um, there'd be some other destinations, of course, but it, like for the most part, that's really the only time you stop, especially with your yeah. health, that you stop looking after your health. So um, you never like, you know, reach your, you know, your weight gain, your your weight loss goal, and then that's it, and you stop. So that's exactly. like a really, you know, important point to point out. And like, um, yeah, it's crazy. I think like when I was younger, I used to get like, you know, my mental health wasn't like, you know, it's never been like amazing, but uh, when I was younger, I'd always think, oh, if I was just being like this person or if I was just like that. But uh, in actual fact, it's like you kind of almost have to, uh, you know, just take it day by day. I think uh, what's the sort of uh, the, the Alcoholics Anonymous uh, kind of quote is like, you just take it one day at a time. Like yep. sobriety, basically. Yes. So it's kind of like, <laughs> it's like, it's like a big change like that when you're trying to change your health. And it, it might necessarily be the like, you know, the huge transformation you've gone through. It might be something much more like, could be, could be the person you're talking about who's in the, the cubicle and work, who, you know, finds it hard to get away from their desk. And they're like, my sobriety is, you know, going for the 30 minute walk twice a day or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then recognizing that's huge. It's important. And it's still not going to be easy sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, it's never going to be easy, but you can, yeah. you can create, I guess, the kind of the, the state of health that you will be happier with or that you want. Uh, if you accept, like you have, prioritize your health and then just start to make small changes over time, maybe even hire a coach, maybe even get more support that way. Or Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things. And, you know, and that said, like there are some things like sometimes I try to describe it as there are some things that do become routine as routine as brushing my teeth. Right. You know, most adults, we remember to brush our teeth every day, you know, and there are some things about my health changes for sure that I would like put in that category. And that's another part of going back to the question you had earlier about mindfulness and journaling and some of those things. I, that's another value there that sometimes I have to recognize that those things have become kind of a brushing my teeth habit, you know, um, what I eat for breakfast, for example, or how I order my coffee. Like, again, to your point, they can seem like small things, but all of those small things add up. The fact that I don't really think about going to the gym anymore, um, you know, those are good things. But then again, there are other things where I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, this is this is a bit of a mental struggle, <laughs> you know. And so things thankfully do fall into different categories over time, too. Yeah, you, you can say that again. It's, it's, it's a lot of a mental struggle. And I feel like uh, the more I learn about health and, and exercise nutrition, the more I realize that it is more psychology than anything, you know? So it's like, if you want a different outcome, you know, you need to, let's, let's just say a health outcome. You need to eat differently and you need to exercise differently. But before all that, you need like nearly like a new belief system. You need to believe something yes. differently, you know, to, to get that outcome. So, um, yeah, yeah we, we kind of touched on, you know, the work environment, the, the home environment. Uh, a post you had was um, the home and, and workplace environment um and, and how food ties in with that could you just talk a little bit about that because food is a big part of uh, our health yeah yeah so that particular post was definitely addressing one of these common things you know like you and i have talked about how we probably have the 
the luxury of setting up our environments like pretty particularly, but I recognize that a lot of people don't. And, you know, some examples that come to mind are, um, you know, I do think that stay at home parents of young children often, you know, you are managing a lot of different things. Um, I think, you know, I'm able to, I don't have kids in my home, so I do not have kids snack food. Even I don't pack lunches for kids, you know, all of those things. Those are not there. Um, I don't need to make food that they will eat, you know, like, and it's a really touchy subject, you know, cause sometimes people are like, if you just feed kids this, they'll eat it. And don't, you know, and it's, I do not believe anything is that simple. Um, some people are in situations where it, it runs a little bit smoother and there truly are other times when you're like, I need this kid to eat food. So if it's mac and cheese four days in a row, then that's mac and cheese. And, you know, um, and then, you know, other professions, like, you know, I've worked with a number of nurses and especially ICU nurses, for example, you know, you're talking about this high, high stress job hours, um, running around or caring for other people, um, not really sitting down. You add in break rooms that are in hospitals, just absolutely full of junk food so often, and it's easy to grab. It's quick. And, and those are the type of home and work environments that I do want to help my, I want to help people understand and, and kind of like assess like wh where, how am I living? Um, what kind of environment am I in? Let me like reasonably assess this and then start to see what I can change rather than kind of like throwing up your hands in the middle and saying, everything is too hard. I don't know what to do. I understand that feeling, but instead I think we can step back and say, okay, this is difficult. We acknowledge that sometimes, oftentimes that's really important to, to know that and, and affirm that. And so a major change all at once might be tricky. So what kind of small changes can we make? And things like changing your home food environment, for example, would be things like buying different size, package, different sized packages, you know, so that Costco is super appealing, but if you buy a large package of everything and then you open it um, and then it's sitting open, the the draw is to just keep eating it, right? Your hand just keeps going in that bag. You, if you buy smaller sizes, it's easier to control those portions. It's easier to give your kids a snack when they go to school, that kind of thing, and not be eating what else is in the bag. It's um, very, very productive to keep highly palatable, highly re reward foods harder to even reach, harder out of sight, in the back of a refrigerator, in the back of a cupboard, in a box somewhere. Um, it might sound trite but once those kind of things are out of our line of sight we don't think about them as often and if we're not seeing them and thinking about them then that cuts down on the number of times we have to kind of like mentally go through this do i eat it or not do i take it am i hungry am i not do i want it like if you think about how many times you have to go through that over a day it starts to make sense why after a while you just get exhausted and you're just like i've run through this scenario for hours, I'm done. I'm just going to eat it now. And so oftentimes our food environment improves when we understand that that's what we're putting ourselves in. So if we can remove some of that, the food stress, the food thinking, the food like conversation in our brain goes way down and that can help a lot. Yeah. 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 Like if you are a stay at home parent and you have two kids and you have to have, you know, kids food around the house and you're burnt out it's like there's only so much motivation you're going to have to like not eat those foods especially if you're tired for time or you're lacking sleep and if you're yeah 
a nurse right now or you know you're working um in uh in hospitals right now during covid like the burnout there must be insane so it's like exactly it might be like you know your goal might be just to like you know limit the damage during this period or yeah yes yeah 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 and i think that's that's it right it's understanding what kind of situation are you actually in and what's a reasonable next step here yeah yeah what's a reasonable next step yeah that's really really good thought and then Something I have thought of myself is like, you know, I get stressed, like, you know, like anybody, even though I'm like a health fitness professional. And I was thinking, so in an ideal world, these kind of hyper palatable foods, I would have them in the home and I would be able to moderate them. I would be like, you know, <laughs> I would have enough, but not too much. Kind of like, you know, you would drink, you'd know the one that's one too many. But I'm yep. like, you know, that is so much work. Like that is, you know, that is, it feels like possible at times, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, yeah, no, the easier thing to do is abstinence. So have them out of the home altogether. But I'm like, something doesn't sit right with me with that, you know, as well at the same time. So it's kind of like, it feels as though for, you know, just for me personally, there's no winning. But it's like, um, is there value in just abstaining and not having like these hyperpalatable foods in the home 100% of the time? But then sometimes, you know, when you eat out, for example, your plan is that you have these foods or, yeah, I guess, what, what do you think of like trying to, improve the skill of moderation um, or go on the abstinence route with, you know, the hyper palatable foods, which are so plentiful right now. Yeah. So I think you framed that interestingly in that I do think there's a high value in having less of those foods in our actual, in our homes, but then understanding that we tend to have a, additional checks and balances when we are eating in a different location with other people. Not, not all the time, right? So like if you go to a buffet, all these rules go out the window, all these ideas go out the window. It's like, how many things can I fit on my plate? Because I'm, you know, I have to get my money's worth or whatever. So that's like its own situation. But if you're thinking about going to a restaurant or going to eat in another, at a friend's house or something like that, that's a great situation for you to go ahead and enjoy some of those things that you might not keep in your home it's no longer in your home, right? It's outside. The time frame in which you can consume those is usually limited. You also have social interaction happening while you're doing this. So um, you have other, you have conversations, you have movement, or you have like different things that are keeping your mind from just on something else other than just the food that can also be helpful. And then you are done, you know? So you're in this situation for several hours Maybe you've eaten more than you would like if you had planned it out perfectly ahead of time. But in the long run, like that's a really moderate way to enjoy those foods, be with other people, enjoy all those different interactions, and then know that it's it's done. It's over. You're going to go home. You're not taking those foods with you. And so you're moving on. And that's generally how I like to approach those situations. And, you know, the only um, you know, I do have some clients who during certain times, particularly my more, well, it's really my more competitive athletes. And then I go through times like this as well, leading up to a meet where it's kind of like almost full abstinence, which is tricky. <laughs> and I will say, even from my own personal experience, when you go for like fully restricting certain food groups or things like that in order, like for me to make weight by a certain date, um, I have to understand that that can come with a cost. And so I have to be prepared for that. So post meat, 
um, I either need to have, I generally need to have a plan in place for how I'm then not going to feel like, okay, well, I didn't eat these 10. I, all I've been thinking about for the last two weeks is the food that I haven't eaten. And so now all I want to do is eat those things and kind of catch up. And so that's another thing you have to be aware of, but that's a pretty unique situation in which I would have someone actually like hard abstaining from, from food. Yeah. You said, yeah, having a plan is my takeaway. So it's like, yeah, having the worst form plan is better than none at all. And you can always have different iterations or revisions of a plan, but at least once you have a plan for a challenge or kind of obstacle planning, then, you know, you can do a lot more about it. Whereas if you're just flying by the seat of your pants or whatever it is, then um, it's going to be much more challenging. But uh, yeah. Sweet, yeah. Sweet and way. I even encourage, yeah, I encourage people to like, if they go to a restaurant or they go to a party or something like that, like have that plan even there, like look at the menu if you want, need to ahead of time, or when you get to someplace, like kind of scope out, what are your options? And then kind of like give yourself that space to say, okay, what is it that I really want? <laughs> both for my goals, but also for my, you know, what do I really want? Instead of just like going in, as you said, blind to that and being like, well, it's here, I'm going to eat it. And then later we often go, why did I do that? Some of it I didn't like, some of it I didn't care about, but I just ate it. So sometimes it's just even in situations like that going, let me pause, <laughs> let me think. <laughs> you know, I really would like this flourless chocolate cake for dessert. So if that matters more to me today than the appetizers that the other people are going to order at this table, like assessing that ahead of time, then really helps me to feel like I'm more successful. Yeah. And a part of it too, is like accepting that eating outside the home is like a new environment. It's like novel and it's, it's accepting yeah. that it's going to be challenging and uh, just, yeah, you know, applying some of that, like a little bit of planning and, um, you can, you know, you can get better at it over time. That's yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, speaking of challenges then, so your recent meet uh, coming up to the present day, it was yep. a bit more challenging than you would have liked. Will you speak a little bit about that? How you've got to the point where you're competing at the level you're at um, and the type yes. of training you do? Yes. So I competed at the Virginia Pro Masters Invitational uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it's the first it was the first pro invitational weekend that the USAPL has done. And uh, so that's, uh, it was a big reason why I decided to do it. I qualified for it. It worked out for me. And I thought, okay, I want to be a part of this. And um, so that pro meets do come with a certain level of qualification. So you have to have established a uh, previous lifting total or score in order to compete in one of these meets. And um, so uh and then they're, they are smaller and their production value, you know, production is a little bit higher or a lot higher. Um, so they're a lot of fun. They're unique. Um, and I had some solid training going into this meet. I would not overstate it and say it was amazing training. So I didn't go into this meet thinking I am going to crush every PR. Like this is just going to be incredible. That was not my meet expectation. It was, um, but my expectation was, this is going to be a great meet. I'm going to be ready for this. I've got some solid lists I'm going to put on the board, feeling good. And I went to the meets and had the most unexpected, unsuccessful meet that I've had so far, right? So there are other meets where I've gone into it, maybe knowing one lift wasn't doing as well for a certain reason. And I knew that, right? This one, I made my squat opener and I made my bench opener and I missed my second and third attempts on both. And on both, I was like, I don't know what's wrong. Um, 
and my openers flew. I was, they, I, every one of my openers was like, I could do this any day of the week. Like I could be sick and you know, you want your opener like that, but it went so well in my mind that I was sure my second attempts were there as well. And they weren't. And the squat, I can kind of understand, like I was going for a pretty heavy second attempt, um, but it's something that I have done before. And so I was like, I felt ready. I missed it. You know, you try to grind out a max attempt squat in a meet. It's pretty hard to come back and get it for your third. I mean, people can. And that was what I was like focused on doing, but I did not make it. And then the bench, I I really, I don't know what happened there. Um, and so um, squat was frustrating. Then when I got to that point in my bench, I walked off the platform um, from the bench and I thought, uh, my dad was there handling me. And I looked at my dad and I said, I would like to quit right now. Like if I could, I would walk out and go home. <laughs> this is awful. And he just looked at me and he said, I know, but you're not. <laughs> and I said, that is true. <laughs> I'm not. So I just went and I sat down, put in my music and I thought, what am I going to do now? Right. And so at that point, um, I, pulled out my earbuds and I looked at my dad and I said, so, so I go into a meet and I have a plan A and a plan B. And so I said, going into deadlifts, I'm just going to lift plan B. And I said, I'm don't make any changes to it. You know, cause as my handler, then he would turn in my attempts after each lift. And so I said, I'm going to go and I'm going to get my opener because I'm confident that I'm going to get this deadlift opener as well. And then I'm not even going to talk to you. Don't talk to me afterwards. I'm going to walk off. I want you to just turn in that B number. Do not let me change my mind, no matter what. And he was like, got it. That's what we're going to do. Good. And then, um, then the other thing he told me, he was like, and don't forget, this is like golf. He's, my dad talked to me into golfing when COVID first hit, because it was like the only thing that you could do around here. So he's like, it's just like golf. <laughs> you can never look back to the hole that you just did. Like, you got to move on. Same thing. And I was like, yep, you're right. Because surprise, surprise, that's one of the things that frustrates me in golf. It's, you know, I'll have a bad hole and then I'll be like, ah, you know. So um, he's like, so we're moving on. And so I went out there, I pulled my opener, felt good, but it also felt super good to do it. And then I pulled my second attempt, felt even better, right? And I had that brief moment, always the competitor, where I was like, I think I have more in me than my plan B. And I was like, I think I could pull more, but I stuck with my plan and I just walked off and I let my dad turn in the number. And um, afterwards, you know, we talked about it and I said, you know, I had that brief moment of being like, I want to, I want a higher number. I said, but I was really glad that we had decided ahead of time that I was not going to change my mind because at that point I needed to pull all three deadlifts and I ended the meet. Like I was elated. I've never been that happy to pull 167.5 as I pulled at that point. You would have thought that I had just PR'd. I was thrilled. The audience was thrilled because they knew it had been a tough meet for me. So it just, at that moment, it felt fantastic. And it was a really good way to end the meet. I still ended the meet, earned a bunch of pro points. Um, you know, so I clocked all those for the the pro circuit, um, and then lifted with people that I've been lifting with for a long time. Totally respect. If they're 
like if I was going to have a tough meet, I don't think there could have been a group of people than these masters lifters who have competed at very high levels previously. And so they knew what I was going through. Almost every one of them, if not every one of them have had meets like this or worse, <laughs> you know, like someone said to me, you didn't, you, you know, you at least stayed in the meet. You didn't um, miss. Um, and so I got a score and, you know, my openers still gave me a solid total, not the total that I know I have, but you know, there we go. And so it was, it was a huge learning experience, but, um, I'm also really, really happy because this is the first meet that has had a problem in it <laughs> after which I did not kind of like have this spiral of self-doubt and angst afterwards. And so that's, um, some huge mental competitive progress there. Don't get me wrong. It was frustrating. I don't want to, if I could, I would not do this again. <laughs> I would not wish that experience on other people as well. It is not fun at all. And yet, um, it's pretty affirming that now I see that I, ha I do have a little bit better understanding of where competition fits in my entire life and its place. And I am maybe getting a little bit of that truth that there's some things that I can't explain and can't control. And so I just have to let it go. And so that was, that was a big takeaway from this meet. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's so many takeaways there. Like, you know, you, you can't really put a price on your, your support that you have, like your dad and, you know, just stick to the plan, you know, when in doubt, stick to the plan, Yep. Um, you know, finish what you start and just, um, you know, it's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. Yes. You, can see, you can see that I'm a sucker for quotes, so I'm just firing them all <laughs> <laughs> yep. out here. But yeah, it, you seem like I wouldn't be able to tell if you had told me, you know, okay, guess if you uh, didn't hit your, your nine out of nine or if you hit five out of nine, I wouldn't be able to tell because you seem, you know, so happy about everything you learned. You really made the best of a tough situation, which is like, you know, a testament, I guess, to your approach and the work you put in. So no doubt you'll bounce back. Thank you. <laughs> yep. Looking forward to the next one. It'll be a better score. <laughs> For sure, yeah. Um, yeah. And if not the next one, the one after. So Exactly. Yeah. Yep, there's lots of time for these. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a it's a long-term game, this, this lifting track. So uh, is there anything that you want to uh, let people know about or wrap up on or anything that we didn't mention that you want to go over? So I don't think so. Obviously, we could talk for a really long time <laughs> about a lot of different things. I really appreciated a lot of the different topics that we ended up discussing today. I think they are very, very important. And I think just like really my, my parting thoughts would be thinking back over what we have just talked about are just the ideas as a coach and as someone who works in this industry, it truly is the most important thing to me that individuals understand that um, there, that change is possible. It is hard. Um, so I never like to tell people that it's going to be easy or that we have a quick fix for things. Um, but that there is hope if you would like something to be different. Um, and there are individuals who are passionate. It's not just me, but there are so many individuals who are passionate about being here for others who want to pursue health and fitness. And Sometimes I get really discouraged at this industry because sometimes the public face seems so quick 
fix, um, you know, buy this, do this 30 days. And it that's discouraging, or it's just stuff that is crap that you're just like, no, stop talking about that. But I also know that there are so many people who are truly dedicated to the things that matter in the health and fitness industry. And that's exciting to me. And so then knowing those kind of people having conversations like this, knowing that people are going to listen to this, who are going to care about these ideas, or maybe take something from this, the, the clients that both you and I work with, like those are the things that all come together and make this just a fantastic um, career to be involved in. And I absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah. You can't let the setbacks or the, the, the downsides of the industry, you know, let you, um, uh kind of define what you do and, you know, stop you from doing good things that you do uh, because there is a lot of good that we can do. We can change people's lives. Um, it just, it'll probably take longer than we think, but we can do it. Yes. Yep. Yeah. All right, Leah. Thank you very much for your time. It's been, uh, it's been great talking. Good. Thank you.